Take your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. I'm going I'm to pick up where we left off last week. And last week we were just, behold his wonder. Uh, the shock value of Jesus coming, everything that he did was just like, wow, why? It's like how he came and how he introduced himself and how he, he came to do it in such a way that was just didn't make sense. If you remember, the story doesn't start off even with uh, a way in a manger. It didn't start off with Mary and Joseph. Started off with uh, uh, Elizabeth and, and Zachariah. It was such, it was such a, a different way. And they were introducing the one that was going to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ, John the Baptist. The, the problem was, the crazy thing about it is, is she was an old woman and he was an old man. And God was like, don't limit me. I can do anything. Then he turns around and calls out a, a young girl that was a virgin that never been with a man in all her life and uses her. Don't limit God. That's my point. That's God's point. Don't limit God. When God comes, he, he's not to be limited by our circumstances. They, they were saying, we're, we're, well, we're well stricken in age. God said, that doesn't matter. With God, all things are possible. We don't limit God. And then Zechariah, in his just human abilities, just steps back and he says, I don't understand. I don't see how this is going to work. And he doubted God. And I praise God that our doubts don't limit God. God used common people. From extreme circumstances to do great things, we behold the wonder of God. But today I want to behold the grace of God. We we get to a woman in the Bible named Mary, and Mary is often elevated. Let me tell you, she was used by God in a great way. She should be valued and appreciated and thank God for what she did. And in history, it's been often said out of every woman that's ever lived in all of history, she's one of the most admired women ever. That she was she gave birth to Jesus Christ. But I need you to understand as believers that believe the Bible, that follow the Bible, that she was, she was a sinner that needed Jesus. She was not sinless. The only one that ever came to this world that was sinless was Jesus Christ. And if we ever put the emphasis on Mary, the one that God used to bring in Jesus, and not the Jesus that came to die for our sins, then we're putting our emphasis on someone that cannot save us. Only Jesus can save us. When Mary was magnifying God in verse 46 through 55, she said these words to this. She, she said in verse 47, My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. You know why she was referencing him as his Savior? Because she needed to be saved. Even Mary herself recognized her sinful condition of needing Jesus Christ as her Savior. So I praise God for what God did through Mary. But I do not elevate her. She was a servant of the Most High. It's, I, I just want his way to introduction because I want us to understand this story and, and even the significance. So we stand back and ask the question, why Mary? Who is Mary? Why did God do this? What, did God just randomly choose her? And I think there's some significant things about this. And I, I, I think it's neat to emphasize why God used such an amazing woman to do such an amazing thing. So Luke chapter 1 verse 26, we ended last week with verse 25. And uh, I'll, I'll preach and then we'll get into our communion time. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into the city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is weird in and of itself. You talk about God using insignificant things or things that make you just step back and go, wow. If somebody from another country and you were talking to them about America, and you were talking to somebody from another country and you said, yeah, I live in New York City. They would probably know what you're talking about. That's a well-known city or Los Angeles or Chicago. But if you were to say Columbus, people would be like, oh, I probably don't know. If you're from Ohio, you would know what Columbus was. 
you'd know what Cleveland was or, or Cincinnati. But if I was to ask somebody, do you know where Lithopolis is? People would be like, what? what? He's like, no, I don't know where that is. There's people that live in Columbus that don't know where Lithopolis is. How many of you guys know where Lithopolis is? Okay. You guys know? You know why? Because we could throw a rock at it. It's right down the street. A lot of people know what Columbus is, but they wouldn't know what Bryce, Ohio is. But we know what Bryce, Ohio is. It was a very insignificant, not well-known suburb, out-of-the-way place. Even when they were talking about Jesus, and they mentioned that he was from Nazareth, it says in the gospel, what, has anything good ever come out of Nazareth? It was very, it was so small that they say that the, 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 um, uh, the people that lived there might have been 150, 250, one, uh, one historian said that they think at some time they might have reached up to 400 people, but it was a nowhere place. God chose a nowhere place. By the way, when Jesus was born, he was born in a, in, a, in a stable. When we sit there and limit God, God says, let me tell you, I'm going to use the most simple things to do the greatest things ever. It doesn't matter your talents, your abilities, your past, whatever. And I know I said this all week, but last week, but it's so emphasized over and over again. But notice this, verse 27, to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary. Why did God choose Mary? I, I just, by way of introduction, I just want to kind of show you these things. Number one, she had a godly reputation. She had a godly reputation. It says, to a virgin espoused to a man, and whose name was Joseph of the house of David, to a virgin's name, Mary. She was a virgin. She lived a pure life. You, you can imagine how, even if this came out, and she had to represent the prophecy of all the way the Old Testament, if it would have been the type of person that they would have uh, said, hey, did you hear Mary is with child? Really? Who's the guy? Oh, no, it's a virgin birth. It was the Messiah. It's going to be born of her. If she would not have had that reputation, it would have been more like, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I know that girl. It's, no, 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 no. It's virgin birth, whatever, okay. Uh, you know, she had to live a life to where the God could use her to fulfill this prophecy through her life. She had to have this godly reputation. In Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. What was the sign? Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. God had to choose someone that had a believable reputation to be able to carry out this work of God. God sees and honors the faithfulness and the righteousness and the obedience of God's people. He, He sees that. Verse 28, And the angel came unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Highly favored. Literally means you are blessed in this way. It's not favoritism. Have you ever wondered who can God use to do great things? I, I think there's a lot of things that we learn from Mary of those that are seeking God to say, I want to experience great things. Think about how often that we talk about seeking in the Bible. Why, why was it that the, the, the uh, wise men got to be able to experience what they saw? Why was it that the shepherds got to experience the first people to worship Jesus? They went and sought after him. Guys looking for seekers, people that want to be, desire to be in the presence of God. So listen, she had this desire. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and she cast in her mind what manner of salutations this would be. Me? Blessed among women? Me? Highly favored? I'm a nobody. I'm a handmaid. 
I'm a servant. I live in Nazareth. Nobody even knows my name. Nobody knows who I am, but highly favored. See, the highly favored literally means that she experienced the grace of God to be given what she, was not, what, what she did not deserve. I want you guys to see something that's so significant in this story. We will lift up Mary and be like, wow, what a story. Do you understand that God with us in our life, she was just the kickstart to what we experience in our lives today? Have you ever thought about that? So how cool it would have been to have the presence of God with us. Hey, let me tell you, how cool is it that we do have the presence of God with us? This was just the kickstart. This was just the introduction to be used of God in this way, to be able to deliver the Savior to the world. But she was the one to have this great grace was shown to her. And the angel said, fear not, Mary, thou hast found favor with God. The word favor means God is gracious today. By the way, by grace that you say through faith and not of yourself. This whole story was not God being partial, but God, God literally showing the grace of God to someone. Why did God choose Mary? She had a godly reputation. She had to. Number two, she sought after God. Let's jump forward a little bit. This is really neat and something that I think we overlook. She experiences the angel. She runs and goes, tells Elizabeth. Elizabeth and her have this time of being able to share what God did in their lives together. It was like this really cool moment that they had. Of, and we looked at this last week. But then she comes back or sometime afterwards in verse 46 to 55, she steps back and she begins just to praise God. She begins to often called the song of, uh, of Mary in this passage. But the praise of God that she did, she began to pour out her heart scripture. Now you think about this. She is 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. We know she was a young teenage girl because of the time of, of when people were uh, engaged during that time. We don't know the exact age that she was. And a lot of people speculate, but the Bible doesn't say. But in that time of growing up, she had to fill her heart and mind with scriptures. Now, she wasn't a priest. She wasn't a prophet. She wasn't all these things. She was just a woman that sought after God. But can I just show you a few of these Fifteen times there, there, there it's known that there's 15 references to Scripture in those 10 verses that she's dead. So what came out of her life when she's magnifying God was literally the Word of God being repeated out of her mouth. In Psalm 146, Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. That is a, that is a quote out of Psalm 34. Verse 47, My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. That is an echo of Isaiah 45 verse 21. For he hath regarded the low state of his handmaid. That is Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 1.11. For, uh, it says, For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. That's from Genesis 30 when Leah praised God. Fifteen times in that passage, in those passages, she's just literally sending out scripture and, and, and whatever was built up on her heart. Praising God for these things should be a natural response for those that seek after God to be able to receive the word of God. And when we get to a time of praise, it just comes out of us. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You want to know what's going to come out of somebody when you get around them? Whatever they filled their mind up with the week before, or the day before, or the months before. You get around somebody that all they do is watch sports. Hey, did you watch the game last night? Not saying that that's bad, but I'm telling you, if you're walking with God, Scripture and the word of God will come out of our lives. You can't get close to God in that way and it not come out. Mary, obviously, just from the song of praise that she sang, 
was somebody that walked with God and wanted to know more about God. Scripture just poured out of her. She knew the prophecy. Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. They didn't know what that meant, but they knew that he would be somebody of authority. They said in Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. What is the sign going to be? Oh, a, a behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. She knew these things. So when the angel began to tell her, how did she know that this wasn't just some random thing? Listen to what the angel says to her. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy move and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and be called the son of the highest. And the Lord himself shall give you him the throne of the, his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom there shall be no end. So think about in that passage, the angel says and reiterates all that the prophecy was. Virgin birth, promised Messiah, Government would be upon his shoulders, and he would be the king. How did she know all that? She was somebody that sought after God. I think about in our generation, I know there's applications like, well, I'm no Mary, and I'm never going to, you know, that's, that's one and done and said and done. But you think about what God wants to do with us. He's just looking for people that want to seek after him. David was one that sought after God. Actually, in, in the Bible, it, it actually talks about those that seek after God. David was somebody that was a man after God's own heart. What did God do with David? God did great mighty things through David. You know why? Because you found a man that was literally saying, God, I know you have more for me. Can I see it? I believe Mary was one of those that sought in Scripture, prayed, followed these things, held these things in her heart, and sought after God. And then in verse 36, And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth... She also hath conceived in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. We see that Mary had a testimony. Mary sought after God. And Mary was a humble servant. This is her response. And the Mary is for her response when she's talking to God of what God's doing. And Mary said, behold the handmaid of the Lord. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. She's literally saying, I am your servants. Let me do this. Be it unto me according to the word. And the angel departed from her. She was literally, her response was just a surrendered yes. Let me fulfill your word. Let me fulfill your mission. There was a reason that God chose her. In the Old Testament, when God was looking for David and God had Samuel uh, go, go look for him and Saul was in power and Saul was doing his own thing, and Saul goes to confront Samuel, or, or uh, Samuel goes to confront Saul. And he literally says this in that passage. He said, the Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. You know what God is looking for? It's people that just want to be in the presence of God. Looking for people that want more than religion and more than just vain repetition. More than going through the motions. More than tradition. Literally in every message to soak it up. And God, what are you doing in my life? To get into God's word on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And like, Lord, teach me. Build me up. I want to see you. Man, do we, are we a generation that truly wants to see God? To see his face? To see him? And, and maybe if that was her prayer all this time of God, let me be used. God was able to use her because she was someone that wanted to be used. There is a difference. People that seek after God. But what are we beholding? I see Mary get this news, and she runs to Elizabeth. 
And, and the Bible says that they did that on purpose. There was a connection. That she goes to Elizabeth and she tells her all these stories, all the things that the angel said to her. And Elizabeth now is six months pregnant. You can imagine her turning to Mary saying, let me tell you, that's all true. You know, I feel the heartburn. I have the back aches. I'm doing all these things. She was, she was fulfilling what it was. And God put them together to be able to encourage each other. And the Bible says that Mary left Elizabeth, and I don't know if it was there in the presence of her or on the trip back or whatever, but somewhere along the line, Mary gets so overwhelmed with what she experienced of God doing, she couldn't help keeping it in, and she began just to, I don't know, shout, pray, cry, worship, sing. They call it the Song of Mary. I don't know if she sang it or if it was maybe mixed with singing and tears or whatever, but for 10 verses... She just has to let it out of what God's done for her. It should never be to where Christians get so numb of the cross or numb of the manger to where when we sing away in the manger or on the cross or whatever he did, that we become numb that it doesn't affect us. Not everybody's an emotional creature. Not everybody's going to stand and raise their hand. Not everybody's going to cry. Not everybody's going to shout amen, but I'll tell you what, if you behold God for the grace that he's giving you, you will not be able to contain it. It will have an effect on you. The more you behold what God did, and I'm, I'm reading this whole conversation of what she had, and last week the whole conversation between her and Elizabeth, and by verse 46, this girl was ready to pop. She was just like, literally like, oh God, and listen to what she says. Mary's response to the grace of God. And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. This was not, she had an audience of one. It was just her and her God. She was not on a stage. She did not have a microphone. She was not writing sheet music for future productions. She was literally just welled up with this so much that she could not hold it in. She had a heart of worship. And Mary said, listen, my soul doth magnify and my spirit hath rejoiced in my God. Worship starts in your heart. This is not a response when we sit there and say, all right, let's stand and sing and sing out on this next verse and listen to what God has done and we're prompting you to do it. See, the thing is, Mary had pondered all of these things in her heart. She took in who God was, and she took in what the angel said, and she took in the fact that she didn't deserve it. And how can this be? And God's doing a miracle in my life, and I don't deserve it, and I need God as my Savior. She's soaking it in, the fact that I'm just a maiden, and I'm from Nazareth, and I am a nobody. And eventually it built up so much that in her heart, she began to cry out back to her God, I do magnify who you are. Two words that are mentioned in that passage. It is her soul and her spirit. The soul is reference to the breath of man, the inner man. That's why in the beginning of Genesis, a man breathed into, uh, and God breathed into man the breath of life, and man became a living soul. It's the breath of man. Mary, it was just a natural response. If I'm going to be in the presence of the grace of God, I'm going to step back, and eventually the very breath that came out of her was just all of her God. But she said, my spirit hath rejoiced. The spirit of man is the attitude of man, the mindset of man, the personality of man. To be around somebody that's experienced something so great that they can't hold it in. And she's just expressing this. She had a heart of worship. She had passion in her worship. 
The two other words that are there. What does her soul do? What does her spirit do? She says, my soul doth magnify the Lord and my spirit hath rejoiced in my God. You see, when God does a work in your life, it sparks praise. It just does. You, you think about what the, the wise men did when they saw the, the, the star. What did they say? Let us follow the star that we might worship him. You know what the shepherds did? They fell down before him that they could worship him. When you behold, when you begin to get it, your soul and your spirit will begin to change. And all of a sudden, it's kind of worked up inside of you like shaking a pop bottle. Okay, something's going to happen here. Open that up. I promise you something's going to happen. That's what Christmas should be for us as Christians. Every song that we sing, every time that we're doing there, it's that pop bottle. It's being shook up. And when you take the top off, there should just be praise to God. And she said, my soul hath rejoiced. My spirit hath rejoiced. You know what joy is or rejoicing is? It's responding joy to respond to what God has done. It just comes out of you. I'm just responding. Man, when you see how great, how great is our God. Man, I can't be quiet. I can't be still. There should be rejoicing coming out of God's people. Responding in this way. She said, my soul doth magnify I will make great, I will exalt, I will praise. You know what she's saying? What's on the inside is not going to stay there. I'm going to magnify God. I'm going to let, I'm going to express it. My soul does magnify. My heart rejoices and responds. When you read, when you read about David responding to what God did in the Bible, man, he, he danced before God. People called him a fool, but I don't care what people think. I've got to respond to what God has done. Man, it creates a respond, response in our lives. And then she had a reason to worship. This praise that she had, what was welling up in her mind when she, she pondered all these things or she stood back and she wondered these things. And the Bible makes a number of references about those things. She says this. This is what she praised God for. She says, For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Here's what it is. She was literally saying he knows me. Have you ever felt unnoticed in life? Have you ever felt like nobody, nobody sees what I do? And you can imagine she goes, studies the word, and she prayed to God, and she'd obey her parents, and she'd go through the motions of all these things. And then God steps into her life one day and says, hey, listen, listen, this is exact words. He hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaid. You know, it's another way of saying God sees me. The Bible references it as El Roy, the God who sees me. The God that sees the mom that works two jobs and still takes care of her babies. God sees you. The dad that gets up and works two jobs and is faithful to serve and to serve and to be obedient. When you're faithful to your wife and you're faithful to church and you're faithful to do the right things and it's still hard. And it's still hard and you still do that. And you're saying, nobody even sees me. Let me tell you right now, God sees you. God sees the labor. God sees the pain. God sees the sacrifice. God sees the obedience. God sees you. And in that moment, God literally repeats to her and says, I have seen, I have witnessed, I have beheld you. We're talking about beholding God. Let me tell you, God beholds you. From the heart of our God, God looks down at you and says, I see what you do. I see every tear that you cry. I see the faithfulness of you in the word of God. I am a handmaid. I just get up and do my job and thinking nobody notices, but her God sees those things. God regards you. God notices you. You say, why? This is the grace of God. God knows what you're going through. He sees you. She says, for he that is mighty hath done great to me. 
has done great to me. Great things. And holy is his name. He cares for me. It says verse 49, he is mighty hath done these things. God stepped into our life to do what we could not do. Mighty is the works of God in our lives. Who am I that the God that could do anything stepped in to do a work in my life? He didn't just say that God has done great things in this world. No, no, he's done to me great things. The family that you have, the salvation that you have, the healing that you have, the work of God, all that he's done deserves the praise of us to do those, to respond to what God has done. She said in verse 50, and his mercy is upon them that fear him from generation to generation. Generation to generation, do you understand that that applies to us? That there'd be no end to that mercy of God. There's no end to the gift of what God did through Jesus Christ. There's no stop to that. It says his mercy is upon that. That mercy is not just withholding punishment that is deserved. The mercy of God is the extension of the kindness of God to us. That is the grace of God. And he did all of that. She, she has this next part that he fights for me. Verse 51, for he has showed me strength with his arms. He has scattered the proud of imaginations of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent them empty away. You say, what does that mean? Because God had not even yet started doing those things. But she knew from prophecy, the baby that she was carrying, the baby bumps that she was feeling, the, the, the kicks of that baby was the coming Messiah. She was already claiming the victory that my God is gonna save me. My God is stepping into my world to do what I could not do. He's going to tear down the opposition. He's going to break through the bonds of sin. He will break the sins of addiction. She was praising God for that already. Great and mighty is the God. And she's not yet even seen the baby, but she was claiming the prophecy. You know, our, our praise should be different because we're not even looking forward to that. We're looking back to what God's already done. We look back to the manger. We look back to the cross. We reflect on what God's done to acknowledge the fact that God has saw us, blessed us, extended his mighty hand to do these things. And she's praising God for it. We should not go through life blinded to the greatness and the grace of God. God's given us an amazing gift to be able to do this. We worship. We take the things that God has done and we let it leave our hearts to go to our lips to praise him. 